Welcome into the fade. I am Clay Travis. He is Todd Furman. I appreciate all of you hanging out with us. We've got a game going on tonight in Super Wild Card Weekend. Uh, on Saturday, we had a couple of games. On Sunday, we had three. Tonight, Monday Night Football, the final one of the year. We've got another great one. Cardinals going up against the Rams. We'll get to Cardinals-Rams here momentarily. But first, Furman, how many of these games did you watch every snap of? And I'll, I'll answer the question for myself first. I watched every snap of the games that were close. Last night, I tapped out. Have you... I, I, I Sometimes there are pop culture phenomenons now. I know I'm getting old that I legitimately haven't heard of at all. And my wife tells me that this television show, or sorry, this Netflix special, Cheer, is wildly popular. <laughs> Do you know, Have you heard of Cheer before, Furman? The only reason I've heard from it because my better half has been addicted to the new season over the last two days. So she said if the football games aren't competitive, I'd rather watch something that is. And so she kind of gave me the 411 on what was going on, why they had a shell of a season, why they had to edit out one of the main characters, and kind of walked me through the entire cheerleading subculture that goes on in some of these JUCO programs in the state Furman. of Texas. But much like you, I wouldn't know a damn thing about it if it wasn't for her. I, I, I felt like I was being spoken to in a foreign language. This is exactly what happened to me. I'm watching last night. Uh, the, uh, the the Chiefs put away the Steelers. It's no longer remotely competitive. Getting ready for bed. I told my wife, hey, here's the remote. You can watch whatever you want. I'll watch it with you. And she said she was so excited. She put on cheer. And so I ended up last night watching the beginning season uh, two of cheer and being talked about this Navarro versus anyway. So this, that's how I spent my, my Sunday night last night. Was why, And evidently, season one of Cheer was wildly popular. Everybody yep. on the planet except for me had heard about it. I guess you're now well, joining the club and not having heard the, about it either. I didn't us, have any yeah, idea what was going on. The two of us on. are in the same bucket. Yeah. The two but, of us are in the same bucket. And I think you probably go through this, as I'm sure a lot of the viewers do, where I have shows I watch entirely on my own. Nicole has shows entirely that she watches on her own. And kind of like a Venn diagram, somewhere in the middle, we come together for a couple of shows. And the one show that we've been watching together going way back years, we started uh, Dawson's Creek probably about six oh, months ago. Dawson's Creek, we're, yeah. we're finally up to the final season. And it drives her absolutely nuts that I refuse to binge watch a show. For me, binge watching is two episodes in one night. So I drag everything out. And now as we get towards the tail end and, you know, spoiler alert, when Joey's going to get back with Pacey, I think it's starting to get a little bit nostalgic and bittersweet that we're going to have to put a bow. What on is your take Dawson on Creek. Dawson's Creek, by the way? Oh, it's phenomenal. I mean, I, I never watched it in real time. I watched it in real boarding, time, yeah. I, I was in boarding school when the show came out, and you couldn't have TVs in your dorm rooms at that point. So on Thursday nights in New England, obviously set in Cape Side that we come to later find out was shot the entire time in North Carolina – everyone in the school would gather around the student center and try and cram it around this big screen TV. So you'd get viewing parties and it's a small school of about a third of the campus that would watch these episodes. And it was obviously largely women guys would go cause they wanted to be around the girls. So I never watched, I made fun of people and I didn't get into it until I was in college and TBS started to show the reruns. So if I didn't have classes from like 10 to noon, 
I pick up some of those episodes there. So this is kind of the first time I'm going back, reliving the whole thing. And I am squarely in the team Pacey camp rather than team Dawson. Well, it's interesting. Um, so first, I watched it live. I think I was in uh, maybe just starting college when Dawson's Creek kind of took off. Yep. So I loved um, uh, Katie Holmes. Uh, her, uh, her Impossible uh, not to. Yeah. Until she decided day. she was going to join the Church of Scientology and go a little bit off the deep end in her relationship with Tom Cruise. Thankfully, we've reined her back into a little bit of normalcy. Yeah. So I was a big, uh, I was a big fan of Joey Potter back in the day. Uh, more so than Michelle Williams, uh, but I watched that whole series, and it actually brings me up. Did you did you watch the Scream movies? Uh, you know what? I, I watched them here and there. I couldn't tell you all the way through. I mean, I know the cast. I obviously know the storyline, uh, but I'm not running to try and see the reboot when that comes out. I think you know inside of four or five weeks, I believe. No, I, the reboot's out. I think. I think the reboot oh, it's is out, already out. It's out already. That's what okay. I was bringing up. But the, the, the connection there in addition to the time frame, is I believe I'm correct about this. Kevin Williamson is like the writer, showrunner, whatever you wanted to call it, for all of the Scream series and also for Dawson Creek. Like, I don't know what he's doing now, but there was about a decade there, five to eight years, whatever it was, where he was on fire. I think he also did, uh, what was the uh, uh, the Jennifer Love Hewitt, uh, I Know What You Did Last Summer? Oh, uh, you yep. remember that? I thought you were going to tell me Can't Hardly Wait or that movie, but no. Oh, Can't Hardly Wait, I saw. Of course, course I saw all these movies. The, the, the Jennifer Love Hewitt, um, they, <laughs> I remember they said uh, that they had retitled it. This was Jennifer Love Hewitt's quote, if I remember correctly. I think Jennifer Love Hewitt was Bailey's girlfriend on Party of Five, if I remember correctly. Yep. If you, uh, And that's where like she got famous, and then she started doing all the teen movies and everything else. And then I believe she was Carson Daly's girlfriend. Uh, I, I know way too much about all this, right? But um, but I remember they said that the the, the subtitle, what they would call, uh, I know what you did last summer, is I know what your boobs did last summer because Jennifer Love Hewitt was always like in a super tight top, if you remember correctly. Uh, that, that, that means was, that's how you have to do a horror movie. You have to do a horror movie. You have to sell the sex. You have to sell the adrenaline and everything else. I mean, horror movies at their very roots don't work unless you have an attractive woman playing a key role that's getting chased around with knives, chainsaws, a variety of other sharp well, objects. Well, that was the great moment. that goes moment all in... the way back to, yeah, Nightmare on Elm Street, Halloween, oh, yeah. all of Friday the 13th, all the old. Uh, I used to love movies. all those movies, but the, there was that great scene in Scream where the girl with the huge boobs is trying to get out through the doggy door and her boobs are too big and she gets caught. Spoiler alert. She gets caught in the, uh, <laughs> she gets caught in the door uh, like trying to get out through the doggy door, but her boobs are too big. And so uh, Ghostface, you know, he hits the, uh, he hits the just lift the garage door up and the girl gets killed that way, uh, which is like, to your point, perfectly dissecting. And that's what was so fun about Kevin Williamson was much of Dawson's Creek and also uh, the original Scream movies is not just a movie about those, it's a commentary on the larger culture, right, uh, of those movies in general. Because if you grew up watching those movies, to your point, Furman, there were certain conventions that were always at play in horror movies. And so they deconstructed those conventions in a really intelligent uh, way uh, for a very knowing audience, which was very much the wink and nudge 1990s era 
in terms of, hey, we understand the 70s and the 80s eras and even the early 90s movies, and now Scream is a sort of postmodern commentary on that era of, of horror movies. Anyway, we haven't even no, gotten you know into any... Well, yeah. no, no, not to any football, but I, but I will say one thing. When you go back and if you watch Dawson's Creek for... I imagine a lot of people that tune into the fade week in, week out are in our age demos or thereabouts. If you go back and watch it, I think some of the storylines resonate a little bit differently. Some of the one-liners that were so great would have had the show shut down. There's no way you could get away with some of the storylines and the one-liners that were in that particular movie. But to take it one step further into shows that are relevant now, and you talk about Kevin Williamson, I think Taylor Sheridan, when you look at what he's been able to do with his three shows that essentially are going... Yellowstone, of course, the flagship. I actually just finished Mayor of Kingstown, which I encourage anybody to get if they have access to Paramount Plus to do that. And I'll probably start 1883, the Yellowstone prequel. But it's a social commentary on everything going on that kind of feeds together. And it's about those hot screenwriters, the hot directors at the same time that really have to capitalize when things are working in the right direction. And the crazy part about all of it, you see such an intersection of actors and actresses that overlap that can play a number of different roles when they have a relationship with the guys that are writing the storyline. Well, you know what? I, speaking of Taylor Sheridan, who has obviously really kind of met his moment right now and is doing a phenomenal job, I also think what is so interesting about that is you have so many things on your plate that doing them all well becomes the biggest challenge. And I'm not trying to compare myself yep. to Taylor Sheridan, but I think in general, when it comes to, for instance, I'll do six shows, I think it is today, three different television shows, my own radio show, and this gambling show. Maybe it's five today, six, whatever it is. Um, and each of them I have to do well, but each of them is a different kind of direction. And so balancing out the time to allow all of that to occur is its own particularly unique challenge uh, that, that I'm kind of in the back of my head thinking about. And so I wonder, I would like to interview Taylor Sheridan not to talk about, I enjoy his shows, <laughs> But to me, the more challenging part is how do you balance out your time such that this new show that you watched, Mayor, what's it called? Uh, Mayor, Mayor of Kingstown. Mayor of Kingstown, 1883 and Yellowstone. He is the voice that connects them all, but he only has so much time and frankly, only has so much talent in terms of the energy and effort that he can put into each program. Uh, I'm curious how he balances out his day. But yeah. let's, I, I mean, said we were going to And he's act, I mean, and you do he's realize acting he's too. acted in Yellowstone, right? Yeah, he's yeah. in the movie. And from what I've read and, you know, some of the folks in Hollywood, I'm sure Cousin Sal would be a much greater source uh, to talk to about some of this. A lot of it is autobiographical. So he's yeah. kind of taken some of the storylines. He knows that world and kind of can create that level of authenticity, you know, which is probably something that gets undersold in a lot of what goes on. But to your point, it's no different than you trying to balance a number of different things. I mean, I stay in one lane. It's sports gambling from when I wake up in the morning until when I go to bed at night, and that's what allows me to be hopefully be as knowledgeable in college football and the NFL as I can be in a lot of the other sports. All right, NFL. we're going to come back and talk about the games that happened in an early read on the divisional games that are set up. But I, I know I'm, I'm going to shift gears here for a moment. Uh, we've got the Rams hosting the Cardinals tonight. Over, under, uh, let me see the latest numbers here. I know the Rams are three-and-a-half-point favorite. Uh, right now, over-under, just shy of 50 if I look at FanDuel. You can pick the winner, by the way. Bet $5 on the Rams or the Cardinals to win. If you are right, you get back, if you're a new user, $150. 
That's a 30 to 1 payout. All you have to do is go to fanduel.com slash clay. That is fanduel.com slash clay. Okay, Furman, I'm on the Rams. Uh, We'll get to the games that happened on Saturday and Sunday in a moment and look ahead to the games that are coming on Saturday and Sunday. How do you play this game tonight in your mind? Well, what I can tell you is the number, I'm not sure FanDuel is down, but a lot of books are already down to a field goal on this game. And that's been professional money that's come in on Arizona. Not entirely surprising, uh, to be quite honest. I mean, I don't necessarily agree with the move, but I can understand why Arizona has attracted some money. When you look at this St. Louis, St. Louis, the Los Angeles Rams defense that's banged up in the defensive backfield. I mean, they're down at starting safeties. We know the story about how they had to lure Eric Weddle out of retirement to get him into game action. And I think he's going to play a prominent role. So that's part of the reason why that number has come down. This is also Rams offense. It's really struggled for stretches to establish an identity. Uh, We know they want to run the ball first and set things up off of play action. Uh, But Matthew Stafford and that vertical passing game has really been an afterthought. I mean, other than the relationship and rapport, uh, given some of the gaudy stat lines we're seeing week to week with Cooper Cup, just doesn't appear to be as dynamic working with Odell Beckham Jr. We see flashes of brilliance from Van Jefferson. And of course, Tyler Higby will have to play a big role. But as the price comes down, my strong lean is towards the Rams. I actually like this game under the total a bit. I think Arizona playing without, without DeAndre Hopkins yet again has really slowed down what they can do. It eliminates Kyler Murray on those third and intermediate throws from going to his security blanket. Uh, I look for Zach Ertz to have a big day today, uh, but I actually like this game under the total a bit. Probably won't be one that I tangle with. I think the side and total are extremely tight and may look for a live opportunity to kind of exploit a number here if it gets out of whack early in the game. What about, okay, so that's that game tonight. I'm on the Rams. You like the Rams. You like the under in general. Any prop bet that you like tonight in particular? I took Tyler Higby to score the first touchdown. Uh, I think I got him right around 12 to 1. Anything that stands out to you uh, with tonight's game from a props perspective? Yeah, I mean, I'm going to go back to the well, and I know some of these numbers are inflated, but I think the Rams are going to continue to feed Cooper Cup. I don't think the Arizona Cardinals have anybody on this defense that they can scheme out of the Rams' attack plan. And if the Rams are going to have success, there's no doubt a correlation there. So I would look at his yardage numbers. I know they've ticked up from the open, but I would go over. I mean, I think Cup has another big day. He's going to be a high-volume receiver like he's been. And when you look at the second meeting between these teams, I mean, Arizona just didn't have answers. And this secondary has really fallen off a bit without Robert Alford. Marco Wilson will be back, which helps them a touch. And we'll see exactly how effective J.J. Watt can be returning from injury. Uh, But Cooper Cup, as square as it may sound, I look at his yardage numbers over. Uh, I think his productivity today has to be correlated to the Rams' offensive success. Uh, Okay, let's go to the games that we saw on Saturday, Sunday. And I'm going to start with the game that I think is still the most reaction. Furman, you're hyper-logical. You're hyper-rational. When you see the way that the Cowboys called the game late, in particular the decision to call that quarterback sneak at the spot where it was, it was a called play, not some sort of random scramble from Dak that was unplanned. Uh, And then obviously the game ran out without them being able to get another snap off. What's your reaction to that? What do you think about the larger Dallas Cowboy issues that are clearly at play now. Stat for everybody, and maybe look away, Dallas Cowboy fans. They've won three playoff games in the last 25 years. And to put that in context, Jake Delhomme has won five <laughs> games. Uh, Colin Kaepernick has won four games. I mean, three playoff wins in the last quarter century 
is a brutal overall record. They have not been, uh, even though over 20, I think it is, NFL teams have been to the AFC or the NFC Championship during that time. Cowboys are not one of them. Yeah, I mean, we can go back to that final minute and the way things played out. I mean, Debo Samuel getting inches from the first down marker. Of course, initially getting ruled at first down. They go back and review it. The 49ers coming up a few yards or a few inches short. I can't, for the life of me, figure out why Kyle Shanahan thought he had to utilize motion there yeah, to try and get the Cowboys to jump. Just come up to the line, sneak the football, get out of dodge with a victory. So the 49ers, they take a penalty and they open the door, even a sliver for the Cowboys to get back in it. The Cowboys then are more or less gifted 40 yards. No idea why the 49ers were playing such soft coverage and taking away the middle of the field, allowing the Cowboys to pick up 12 to 15 yards of crack. Now, as far as the execution of the final play, and I've talked to some football people, I've watched it, you know, 15 to 20 times like most. My understanding is that that play is designed for Dak Prescott to pick up 10 yards, get up to the line of scrimmage and spike it. When Dak decides he wants to pick up an extra eight to 10 yards, it puts them in a huge conflict as far as the clock, that the time on the clock, because you just can't get up to the line of scrimmage and have the chance for the official, the line judge, whatever the hell he's called, to spot the football, spike it, and be able to get your one Hail Mary into the end zone. Now, you can, of course, play devil's advocate and say the Cowboys should have taken two cracks from the 40-yard line, but it's a much higher probability if you're throwing one touch, you know, one pass from the 25-yard line to try and get the game-winning touchdown. So I think there was a massive disconnect on a variety of fronts from the Cowboys, but that's kind of been the microcosm of the last handful of years, whether it's the two years with Mike McCarthy, whether it's the time before that when you had Jason Garrett calling the shots, I mean, this is a franchise that has to figure out what the hell it's doing, and I'm not quite sure it's going to happen anytime soon. So Cowboys fans who woke up this morning frustrated, they can blame one play here or there, but the reality of things, I mean, they were outclassed from the jump, and if it wasn't for the 49ers getting conservative or turning the football over, I mean, that game probably isn't even close to a one-possession contest in the final six, eight minutes. Anything else? that The other close game, and this was a tough loss, uh, was the Raiders on the road against the Bengals. I had the Raiders uh, plus the points. They're throwing into the end zone late. They throw short of the end zone. Uh, they have the ball that gets knocked off the defender's helmet on the previous drive. You learn anything at all about the Bengals, and the only other game that I would say really felt like it was super close of the weekend where it could have gone either direction. I think Zach Taylor got way too conservative. I mean, you either trust your quarterback or you don't. And I think once they got up 20, 20 to 6, he really kind of neutered Joe Burrow and his ability to create separation and pile it on, allowing the Raiders to get back into that football game. I mean, Burrow was great in, in his first playoff game. We know how dynamic Jamar Chase can be out there uh, in terms of giving him a true bona fide number one on the outside that's a legitimate superstar already in his rookie season. But I think this is a Bengals defense that's going to go into Nashville and play your beloved Titans on Saturday. That's going to be in a world of hurt. When you look at the injuries they suffered, we saw Larry Ogunjobi put on IR, so he's gone. Mike Daniels, one of their backup defensive tackles, nicked up. You had some depth issues there to begin with. We're not sure if Trey Hendrickson, their leading pass rusher, is going to be available, uh, given the fact that he'll have to clear a concussion protocol. And I think on some level, too, the Bengals' offensive line Yes, it was good for stretches, but there were still too many instances of Max Crosby in that Raiders defensive front being able to generate pressure. And when you look at this Titans team, one of the things that they've done so well this year is getting after opposing quarterbacks. 
I actually think it's a great matchup for Tennessee. We'll see if Ryan Tannehill can make a few throws and force the Bengals to respect the passing game. But even if he can't, uh, I think Deontay Foreman and Derrick Henry, however that workload share goes, are both poised to have big days against an undermanned Bengals defensive front. All right, let's talk about that for a moment. You had the Bills and also the Chiefs look phenomenal. So I'll get to the Titans game in a moment. Uh, But the Bills and the Chiefs both look phenomenal. I'm looking right now, fanduel.com slash clay. Uh, The number that I'm seeing currently is the Chiefs are a a two-and-a-half-point favorite over under 54-and-a-half. What is jumping out to you there? A lot of people, I think, as this week progresses, will say this is the default AFC championship. Now, I would just push back on that. If the Titans win, and we'll get to the Titans-Bengals breakdown here, the early week breakdown, the Titans beat both of these teams in Nashville this year. They beat the Bills, and they really whipped uh, the Kansas City Chiefs. But... Do you see value on either side or the over-under in this game between the Bills and the Chiefs? I don't as far as the side is concerned. Uh, I know a lot of people are surprised that Kansas City isn't a full field goal favorite in this game, but I think this is the perfect number, making it under three. If the number did get out to a field goal, you'd see one-way traffic from respected betters coming in on Buffalo, given what this team has looked like in its current form. We saw an absolute offensive clinic against New England something that I think they can replicate even on the road, given if Brian Dable goes into his bag of tricks and can call such a proficient offensive game plan. For me, I look at this total, and at 54 and a half, 55, I know a lot of people will go, man, you know, it's easy to go over here. I agree. I'm not sure where the stops come from in this game. I know the Kansas City-Pittsburgh game got a little bit loose, and that final score wasn't indicative of what Kansas City had done defensively. But I think Buffalo is going to put their foot to the pedal early and play on their front foot. Kansas City will be forced to match. And I really believe both these teams are going to have a chance to score 30-plus points. Uh, As long as Mother Nature complies, we're in for a very special game from the quarterback position uh, and two very prolific offenses Sunday afternoon at Arrowhead for a game that kicks off at 6 Eastern. Uh, All right. Then you have um, the the Bengals. Let's talk about the other AFC game that we know 100%. Bengals on the road against the Titans. I'm only looking right now, Furman, at FanDuel, and I'm FanDuel in Tennessee, so it might be a little bit different elsewhere. But as we have done this show, the Titans just ticked out to a three-and-a-half-point favorite. They were a a three-and-a-half-point favorite earlier, came back down to three. That's a pretty significant half point. What are you seeing in terms of early money in this one? Yeah, this number actually opened as low as two and a half uh, on FanDuel. And I think when you look at these two teams and the full body of work, if you're using your season-long metrics to assess the Tennessee Titans, they shouldn't be more than a field goal favorite. But at the same time, if you're not adjusting for the return of Derrick Henry and the overall health of this roster, you're doing a massive disservice to your handicap while also not discounting Cincinnati and their recent body of work, given some of the injuries and depth concerns along that defensive line. So you have two teams, in my opinion, that are coming into this contest from very different places as far as their overall health. And that's part of the reason late last night, once this number was widely available outside of just FanDuel, you saw support for the Tennessee Titans. I mean, their money line was minus $1.45, minus $1.50. That price ballooned out as high as $1.80. And I think that's where we're going to sit. But I do really believe in this spot that Tennessee gets a little bit undersold and disrespected. I think people have fallen in love with Joe Burrow as the face of the Bengals franchise, and rightfully so, that you're going to see public money come in on Cincinnati, betting them plus the points, and also looking to try and bet the Bengals on the money line 
hoping that they can get a star-studded showdown of quarterbacks between Joe Burrow and the winner of that Bills Chiefs showdown that you talked about there. But in my opinion, I think Tennessee, well-rested with a good game plan, can confuse Joe Burrow. They can get after him. They'll be able to run the football, and I think the Titans move on to the AFC title. Uh, all right, a couple of uh, stats here that I thought were interesting. Derrick Henry, A.J. Brown, Julio Jones have only been on the field together for 120 out of the Titans, 1,133 offensive snaps this year. Uh, that's from Coach Dave McGinnis, who is one of the radio analysts uh, for the Tennessee Titans, obviously former NFL head coach and longtime NFL coach in general. That's pretty staggering, isn't it? Only about 10% of the offensive snaps have those three guys been on the field together. Yeah, I mean, and it's a credit to Mike Vrabel and what Todd Downing has done, you know, kind of leading this offense. When you look at what has gone on for Tennessee, the fact that they were able to secure the number one seed, I know they needed some help. They've kind of patchworked the offense together. I mean, the second half against the 49ers, arguably the most pivotal half of football that they played the entire season, and you saw the chemistry and rapport of between Ryan Tannehill and A.J. Brown, even without Julio Jones in the mix. So I think this is a Titans team that, while they do have pressure on them, is getting healthy at the right time. They're trending in the right direction. And I really believe they're going to have a massive say in terms of what goes on in the AFC, unlike a lot of people out there who just assume the team coming out of Arrowhead Sunday afternoon has a cakewalk to get to Los Angeles and play for the Lombardi Trophy. Uh, I've been a Mike Vrabel detractor. I mean, it's no shock to you uh, or a lot of the folks in Nashville to listen to some of the weekly radio spots I do there. Uh, but he's impressed me this season, his ability to delegate uh, and this defense that I thought was still going to be a major, major weakness for them coming into the year has looked significantly better. Uh, I just need you to talk to your Titans reporters, friends, Clay, and find out when Jamar Chase and Christian Fulton did battle during practice at LSU, who got the better of that matchup? Because <laughs> if Fulton goes into this game with confidence, I think it puts a lot more pressure on some of those other LSU Tigers that are going to be very plentiful in this matchup on Sunday. So you know what? That's interesting. Uh, what would the line look like? I know public perception will play in. For instance, if the Titans came out and won 35-3, to uh, that would be different than uh, over the Bengals versus they win uh, on a late field goal. We also need to see how healthy the Chiefs and the Bengals, uh, sorry, the Chiefs and or the Bills, whoever wins that game, uh, comes out of, uh, of this divisional playoff game. But what kind of line are we looking at? Like a three and a half point road favorite-ish set up for the winner of Chiefs-Bills uh, on the road against the Titans if that happened? What would that line look like in your mind? Yeah, all things being equal, I think that's a fair number to anticipate. You know, you're going to see some books, in my opinion, open three, maybe minus $1.20 on the favorite and see if they get their first couple of bets from some of those respected accounts out there that'll drive it up to three and a half. Very similar to the numbers we saw when these teams played earlier this year. I think the Titans went off a three and a half point home underdog against Kansas City, and I want to say they went off a very similar price against Buffalo. I don't think that much has changed, but you do raise an excellent point. This time of year, more so than any other weeks during the NFL regu regular season, public perception will play a role. So if you get Buffalo or Kansas City to go out there and look like the greatest team since sliced bread and winning games by, you know, a game by three touchdowns and the Titans limp through the Bengals, uh, then you could be talking about a number that opens a little bit bigger, maybe in that four range. But if all things are equal and the Titans were to win by a touchdown against the Bengals and we see a tight game throughout against uh, Kansas City and Buffalo, I think you're looking at a three, three and a half as the open. 
All right, let's talk about the game in Lambeau. 49ers, we just talked, we talked earlier about them getting the win over the Cowboys. Uh, the Packers are a four and a half point favorite. They obviously got the bye week, uh, have been able to get pretty healthy in general. Uh, how would you assess with the 49ers and the Packers going on? Oh, one more thing, by the way, to mention on the Bengals and the Titans. Mike Vrabel is 8-0 when his team has nine or more days to get ready for a game. They obviously had the bye week. The Titans did. And this is pretty crazy. I did the math. I think I got it right. By the time of kickoff against uh, the Cincinnati Bengals, the Titans will have played one game in the last 21 days, if I'm not mistaken. So it's not only that they got the bye week, it's that they are about as healthy, I would imagine, as you can be. And the same thing would be true for the Packers as they get ready to host a big home playoff game against uh, the uh, San Francisco 49ers. It's such a massive advantage. I mean, when you look at the way the NFL has changed the playoff format where only one team gets a bye in each conference, uh, you can understand why that they're trying to make the regular season and a strong performance during it a reward. And that's where Tennessee and Green Bay find themselves kind of in the catbird seat. Of course, Green Bay getting a lot more respect in the market since they're the favorite in the NFC. The Titans still third favorites at FanDuel to come out of the AFC. But when you look at this Green Bay game, you know, I thought we were going to have to wait a little bit longer during the week to figure out this, you know, health and status of some key contributors for the 49ers. But looking on social media today, I mean, Fred Warner, extremely optimistic that he'll be back, the most talented linebacker that they have on their defense to get into the fold. And when you look at Nick Bosa, I think he's going to be out there as well given some of his posts on social media. So the 49ers will have that level of physicality and difference makers that you need matched up against the Green Bay offense that can be as dynamic as any in the league. Meanwhile, on the other side of the ball, I think San Francisco should be able to run it. I mean, Green Bay traditionally likes to play a lighter box rather than committing extra resources and manpower down there because they believe that they can take away the pass and they can stop the run with six guys. I'm not sure that's the case here. We've seen the 49ers have Green Bay's number uh, in an AFC champion, an NFC championship game not too long ago. Earlier this year, it was an extremely even football game in San Francisco with Aaron Rodgers being the difference maker, leading the game-winning field goal. So when I look at this game here, uh, I really believe that the 49ers are extremely live underdogs, catching five and a half. Uh, I've been higher on the 49ers than the market has all year, and I think we're in for a truly great game Saturday night in Lambeau. Short week. Travel back-to-back for the 49ers won't do them any favors, but this is a team that won't be intimidated. I really think Green Bay is in for a fistfight. Bucks would be, according to FanDuel, a four-point favorite over the Rams or a six-point favorite over the Arizona Cardinals. Anything from a matchup perspective that jumps out, do you agree with those rough opening lines? Uh, again, I know we have to wait and see who would be healthy and how the battle would go between the Rams and the Cardinals, but does that comport with your overall expectations? Yeah, it does. I mean, the Rams were a team that I was much higher on earlier in the year. And when I've watched them over the last couple of weeks, dug into some of the numbers, I've grown more skeptical of what this team can do. And I think so much of the Rams' success is predicated on their ability to run the football. And as we've seen against Tampa, that's not always the best recipe for victory. I think Tampa would love to get revenge for a game that got away from them early at SoFi. Uh, when you go all the way back, I think it was week three or week four. So the Rams are going to be a much more formidable challenge for Tampa if that's the showdown we get. The Arizona Cardinals, we'll see. I mean, like we talked about, they've taken respected money in the market today against the Rams. 
I don't think that game is all that intriguing, to be quite honest. If it's Kyler Murray and Cliff Kingsbury matched up against Bruce Arians, Byron Leftwich, Todd Bowles, and Tom Brady, I mean, I think that is a massive mismatch in terms of experience, coaching, and everything else that goes into it. Uh, if that is indeed what we get for the NFC divisional round, I'd have no qualms whatsoever laying a price with Tampa under a touchdown. I think they did a great job adjusting to the personnel they had, and they have a wealth of weapons, even down Chris Godwin and Antonio Brown. I don't think the Arizona Cardinals are the kind of team that could exploit that. Uh, Thursday, we'll be back. We'll officially break down all four of those games. Do you like Super Wild Card Weekend or Divisional Round Weekend more, Furman? I'm always the guy that likes more games. So I would say the six games we had for Super Wild Card Weekend, despite there being a couple of blowouts in the mix, the way the NFL has gone about structuring the schedule with two on Saturday, three on Sunday, and then one on Monday. Yes, as a fan, if my team was playing on Monday, I wouldn't love the rest disadvantage or turning around and playing on a short week. Uh, but from a sports betting and viewership standpoint, I think this is tremendous. But you do have the cream of the crop playing next weekend. And I think, you know, for everyone who roots for upsets throughout the course of the regular season, there is a part of me that loves when seeds hold. So you get a matchup in the AFC semifinals like Kansas City and Buffalo that isn't even the AFC title, a game in Green Bay and San Francisco. Uh, I really believe we're in for four fantastic matchups, regardless who comes out of this Rams-Cardinals game tonight. Good stuff as always. I'm Clay Travis. He's Todd Furman. Get your bets in. FanDuel.com slash Clay. A $5 wager on either the Rams or the Cardinals turns into 150. 30 to 1 payout. All you have to do is go get your bets in at FanDuel.com slash Clay. Furman, we'll talk to you on Thursday. You got it, my friend. And congrats, by the way, for as much ball busting as I do around here. You did hit your blood bank guarantee, and anybody who backed Buffalo was able to kick their feet up in a rocking chair, enjoy adult beverage, and laugh at some of Bill's mafia that were breaking tables and subjecting themselves to single-degree temperatures. Are you going to be in attendance, by the way, on Saturday afternoon for the Titans playoff game? Rain or shine, it doesn't matter. You're it's in? gonna be it's gonna be sunny, although uh, you know the the sun is going down early in that one because the game kicks off at three thirty local. So by around five o'clock, everybody will be in the dark. Uh, but yes, I will be there, uh, rain or shine. Although again, it's going to be sunny, uh, and uh, I'm going to be insanely nervous by kickoff, Herman, because I was at the 1999, I believe it was, choke job against the Baltimore Ravens when the Titans were the one seed. And I was also there, I think it was 2008, uh, when the Titans choked against the Ravens again as the one seed. The reason why I bring up both of those is because the Titans then, both times, win one game and you are hosting the AFC Championship game at home, which I think will be, if the Titans can beat the Bengals on Saturday, the biggest sporting event that has ever occurred in the city of Nashville's history. I know we've had the Stanley Cup Finals uh, and, how dare and, you how dare yeah. you cast dispersions at Bridgestone Arena and that fervent atmosphere the Preds created for their run but of the cup AFC championship game given 35 or 45 or 40 million people would be watching that game in Nashville would be the biggest sporting event to ever take place in the city so fingers crossed uh, that uh, the Titans can take care of the Bengals I will be there in person watching it as a season ticket holder should uh, and uh, we'll talk about it later this week You got it. Looking forward to it. A lot more to discuss on Thursday once we start to see these injury reports and see where the markets have settled. No doubt. FanDuel.com slash Clay. I am Clay Travis. He is Todd Furman. And this is The Fade.